Hello, and welcome to IPO Stories, a podcast that explores the tracks to IPOs for companies and their stakeholders. Through interviews with professionals who have led companies to public markets, we will learn about what it takes to IPO a business, the do's and the don'ts before, during, and after the listing process. I'm Gauthier. I'm Pear, co-founders of Amundsen Investment Management, a Europe-based equity manager. Today, we look back at the IPO of Industrie Denora with Paolo Delacca, the CEO. Industrie Denora is an Italian industrial company with global presence. It is the world's leading supplier of electrodes for all major electrochemical processes and have recently seen tremendous growth in applications for green hydrogen production. After almost 100 years as a private family-owned company, Denora listed in June 2022 in a 500 million euro transaction. With the market volatility in 2022, It was one of only a handful of companies to list globally that year. Paola has also been through another IPO in 2023 as deputy chairman of Nucera, the electrolyzer JV between ThyssenKrupp and Denora. With Paola, we discussed the changes Denora has been going through as its energy transition business has expanded, the IPO rationale in 2022, his experience from interactions with public markets investors, and the challenges to scale up the energy transition. Before we start, we would like to remind our listeners that our discussion is not financial advice, nor an investment recommendation, nor a solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments or an offer for financial services or any other transaction. The information contained in the recording has no contractual value and are destined for an informational purpose only. Amundsen Investment Management and the participants in this podcast may have holdings in the companies being discussed. Paolo, thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you here. And... Um, Maybe you can just start with you explaining a bit what uh, Industry Denora does. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Yes, Denora is an Italian multinational company listed at the Euronext Milan Stock Exchange since uh, a little bit more than one year now. And we are the world's largest supplier of high-performing electrodes and coatings for many industrial applications. So wherever there is electrochemistry, we are the suppliers of a key component, the electrode, the heart of the process that is enhancing, is the enabling factor of the performances of the solution they go into. We are the leader in emerging sustainable technologies with a very key role today in energy transition and in particular in, in green hydrogen production technologies. And last but not least, we are recognized as a leading provider of disinfection and filtration solutions for water and wastewater treatment technologies. We are made by 25 operating companies, out of which 14 are manufacturing. We are very well spread all over the world. We have a very good geographical distribution, both in revenues and in people. From the geographical standpoint, uh, this year we are celebrating 100 years of anniversary. So that's a, a phenomenal milestone that we have achieved. So we are going through many different events all along the year with our employees and with our stakeholders, which is very exciting. And uh, we have achieved uh, recently 2,000 people in our, in our group. And yourself, Paolo, a bit about your own history. What led you to join the company and uh, become the CEO? <laughs> That's uh, sometimes uh, things happen totally by chance. Yeah, I'm an engineer. I graduated the Polytechnic of Milano. Uh, I've been always working uh, in technology business. Uh, first, uh, pharmaceutical technologies. Uh, second, uh, food technologies. And then all of a sudden, I, I crossed the Nora. They were looking for a new 
managing director to drive uh, the growth that they, they had in mind, that they wanted to develop a plans to develop this growth. And that's what happened. So I'm in Denora since 14 years, and uh, we're going through an amazing journey over here. And was that before or after you launched on the energy transition effort? It was before. Denora has been exposed to the so-called uh, electrochemical hydrogen uh, since uh, probably the 50s. Uh, but then, uh, of course, uh, the methane, the fossil fuels uh, took over and uh, some of these things were totally forgotten. And then, uh, yeah, I joined Denora and a uh, few years later, but I would say really a couple of years later, we started uh, working again very hard on energy transition at the research and development level, of course. Excellent. So as you said, you're celebrating 100 years history this year, and you have a long history of family ownership with the, the Nora family having founded and still chairing the company and being uh, large owners. So I'm just wondering, what was actually the rationale to then IPO the company after so many years under family ownership? Well, that's very simple, is the growth. Uh, we've been growing quite uh, consistently and successfully over these years, but uh, we came to a point by being aware of the phenomenal growth we had in front of us uh, related to energy transition that we had to share with our board, with our shareholders, that uh, together with that growth, there was uh, inevitably an important demand of cash to invest, of course, to sustain this growth. So that happened uh, in 2021 when we presented this uh, new business plan. Uh, and I have to say really unanimously, all our stakeholders, board members and shareholders uh, agreed that was uh, really the conditions to start planning an IPO to collect uh, resources, financial resources, to sustain uh, this uh, growth journey that we planned uh, in our industrial uh, program. So that's really the main reason. And of course, uh, this growth was uh, mainly related to the energy transition because all the other segments have been always growing, but with a much more moderate uh, kind of rate uh, while uh, the energy transition had such an impressive growth. And because we are producers, uh, that growth means to arrange our production facilities to be able also to produce that kind of technologies that meant uh, expansions mainly and um, also greenfield expansion to a certain extent. So that would have required a lot of financial resources. And before the IPO, back in 2017, you had uh, included Blackstone as a shareholder that then exited in 2020. Yeah. I'm just wondering why choose to involve a private equity player then in 2017 and not do the IPO at that time? Well, actually, I have to tell you that uh, we launched an IPO project uh, back uh, in 2015, in the second part of 2015. And that was uh, a decision of the shareholders of the Denora family because they thought we have achieved at that time a size and a visibility that uh, would require probably to become a public company. So the reasons were different uh, from this time, uh, but uh, they thought, well, this is probably the time that we open up our capital to the market. And that's what we did. We did uh, a very intensive and very demanding process because all IPO processes are very, very demanding for the management. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, our timing for the IPO in 2016, unfortunately, was really very close to the Brexit. So everybody was convinced that the Brexit would have uh, given a different result. So we have been continuing that path. Uh, 
But then uh, the, we were supposed to go public on the 26th of June, something like that, and Brexit was 23rd of June, so there was a horrible coincidence. And when the Brexit uh, vote was uh, announced, then we said, well, this is not the time. Uh, let's wait until July. But actually, you might remember, I mean, nobody was so much uh, focused on IPOs at that time. So we decided to park it, not to abort it, but to park it, to keep it on hold, to wait for better times. And at the same time, right after this decision, uh, the family, the shareholders said, yes, but why don't we open up the capital to a private equity fund uh, so that uh, they will accompany us uh, in this uh, process uh, and they will maybe help us even becoming stronger in how to be ready to the level of readiness for the IPO one day we will do. And that's what happened. So we started selecting a potential partner. You can imagine that Blackstone was uh, one of the strongest, or is today, one of the strongest in the world. So we had a really a very good alignment with them and that's what happened. So at the beginning of 2027, they entered uh, and they actually left uh, the beginning of 2021. In terms of that period then between 2017 and uh, 2022, what were the major changes you made to the company in order to be even more IPO ready in the sense when you, when you came in 22? Yeah, it, it's a matter of culture at the end of the day. So I have really to thank uh, Blackstone because they've been uh, really wonderful allies. I mean, we've been uh, working together side by side. Uh, they've been observing and supporting our growth journey that happened in those years. So they were very pleased to see us growing in all our core and legacy businesses. But at the same time, they really transfer us a very good, uh, let me say, financial cultures in terms of uh, capacity to forecast uh, the best, build uh, the best kind of uh, reporting packages. So really also to sustain uh, the company in this uh, culture evolution to be more and more or better and better ready for uh, that uh, opportunity down the road. So that's really what happened. And we are, we are very pleased to have them uh, together with us for a little bit more than three years. It was actually quite a long IPO journey. We talked to some CEOs who had a six-month IPO preparation, but uh, you had a bit more time to think about it. Oh, yeah. But actually, to be honest with you, it was not an IPO preparation. I mean, it was simply saying, okay, now there are not the conditions for an IPO. And actually, we really parked it. So we were not doing anything in the direction of the IPO. The IPO was not there holding for something. I mean, the work we did with Blackstone has been focusing on uh, the business and growing the company, not just so much related to the IPO. Then when we thought that the IPO was coming, by the way, Blackstone was already gone because they were so much solicited by many other investors uh, thanks to how the Nora was performing in those years that at a certain point they decided to leave. And then uh, after we came to the point that uh, energy transition was so much booming, unexpectedly, to be honest with you, because uh, otherwise probably Blackstone would have remained with us, right? So with that uh, additional growth potential, and then that was the time where we decided now is the time to make an IPO. So the decision was taken uh, in the second part of 2021 and we went public in 2022. Excellent. And the IPO and now being a public company, how, how do you feel it's changed or affected the company? Well, on the operative standpoint, so on the day-to-day -day basis, including myself, uh, of course, uh, there are not so many changes. I mean, focus is uh, on business. 
on business, on managing our people, uh, our projects uh, of expansion, of growth, of partnerships. Uh, so that really didn't get any change. Of course, uh, in parallel to this, we are building and continuously the trust and the relationship with our new community of investors, right, and stakeholders. So that's uh, the new part of our daily life uh, there is uh, for sure a new chapter, no doubt. Of course, the company had to also work uh, on some processes, on some policies, on the governance. You know, when you go public, you also have to revise your board with the, the right number of independents, with all the committees uh, that uh, we do. We have created the right engagement to really uh, help them to be as operative as possible to support uh, the decisions, uh, the right processes within the organization, uh, and the management at the end of the day, right? So this sort of culture of enhancing the financial uh, reporting and, and controlling is a never-ending story, as you can imagine, right? So we were already very much structured, also thanks to the support of Blackstone, uh, but uh, what we have been adding uh, has been this culture of disclosure, right? Uh, so we have a financial communication process that... Uh, has to be continuously disclosed and shared uh, with our stakeholders. So you said one of the reasons for the IPO was because of the growth of the energy transition business. Yeah. And uh, you've always been very active in the electrode and water technologies. So obviously you came to it with a very strong background in electrodes. Can you just describe a bit what uh, the energy transition actually is, what it includes for you? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, of course, uh, in general, is an unprecedented market opportunity for a technology company like Denora because it's a perfect matching between our know-how, our really core competence, and there's been a sort of natural evolution for, of those core competencies into this new market opportunity. Because at the end of the day, green hydrogen is an electrochemical product. So that's really the, the first uh, point to twilight. Then, of course, in the typical business model of the NORA, meaning to have uh, a unique uh, portfolio of technologies to serve our customers and partner base, uh, also in this business, we have done exactly this. So to design and uh, produce electrodes, for our joint venture, we do more than electrodes. We do the complete cells uh, that is on their design, of course, uh, we do electrodes for also the fuel cell business, which is the other part of the energy transition, meaning turning hydrogen back into electricity in a clean manner. And of course, uh, more and more uh, wider portfolio of technologies that uh, will help us uh, in having a very good, uh, let me say, diversification of revenue streams, uh, thanks to this concept of uh, partnering with the right players, like our JVTs and Cubnusera, that are position, well positioned in the market, providing a final solution, very successful in terms of performances, reliability, durability. We are the key suppliers of the core, of the heart of those solutions, enhancing, enabling them to perform as expected. And that is a sort of win-win combination that has been driving us in our history and is also continuing in the energy transition. And so your customers in this business, it's basically the uh, manufacturers of electrolyzers, right? Manufacturers of electrolyzers, of course, like uh, in particular our JV, manufacturers of fuel cells. Uh, of course, uh, 
engineering companies, we are also working on uh, small size electrolyzers because we have a competence. We don't want to leave this uh, small application market that our GV, for example, is not following totally unattended. So we are also developing our own solutions that we will use in partnership probably with the engineering companies, also in, in some cases with end users. So with the industries that are demanding uh, green hydrogen production, like the hard-to-abate industries, for example, that uh, especially in Italy, there are going to be many small, medium companies that do not require the huge centralized uh, solutions, but quite decentralized, uh, small, medium-sized solutions to serve uh, a specific geographical area like the so-called hydrogen valleys that they're using today as a name or their specific need to substitute fossil fuels in their industrial processes. Obviously, there's a very high growth component here. You're a tech business yeah. at heart, right? But you're also a manufacturing business. How has this kind of high growth segment in the energy transition transformed the company in terms of you know growth dynamics, hiring, capex? How have you seen those changes over time? Well, let me say that probably the main component is uh, OR2 is CapEx and people, right? So we have uh, our main driver being manufacturers of technologies uh, is expanding our capacity. We have, I think, a unique advantage, as I said, that uh, our production uh, technologies uh, in every factory we have around the world uh, they are already somehow set up or very similar in terms of concept to what is needed to produce green hydrogen technology. So for us, it's not a matter of reinventing new factories in terms of technologies, but rather than expanding our factories to serve that curve of demand. So on one end, there is a phenomenal versatility, as you can imagine, right? Because we can switch uh, in our production facilities from one application to the other, and we don't have to have uh, uh, fully dedicated lines only to the hydrogen. That is giving us a great versatility and flexibility in managing the factories. But at the same time, the volumes are such that we are expanding. The first phase of expansion is brownfield, meaning expanding wherever we are already. That means to have already management, competencies, uh, properties, utilities, and simply to expand. Expand in terms of real estate side, but also in terms of production technologies inside to increase the capacity. Of course, uh, when I talk about people, again, in a brownfield expansion, uh, the requirement, the complexity of hiring more people is uh, definitely easier than in a greenfield where you have to hire everybody from scratch. So for the time being, people are absolutely part of this uh, transformation, but uh, definitely easier than uh, when we will get to greenfield kind of expansions that uh, might be required in geographical areas where there will be a very high concentration of demand and where we will not be able anymore to serve with existing factories or where we don't even have an existing factory. In that case, we will have to go greenfield and uh, the people-related part of this complexity will increase, definitely, because, uh, of course, uh, we will have to work on a total expansion starting from uh, uh, blue collars to the management of the company itself. So if we think a bit simplistically about the IPO, so you raised capital in the IPO. Can you maybe just talk a bit about in practice, where does that money actually go once you raise it? Yeah, most of the money of the IPO will go to, to CapEx. 
to CapEx uh, for expanding our capacity. Great. In terms of investor engagement, you know, you, it was probably the first time you actually engaged actively with public markets investors, right? Can you tell us a bit about the types of investors you engage in during the IPO process? Was it more uh, generalists versus specialists, Italian versus European or US investors? Can you talk a bit about that? We met both generalist and specialist investors. As you can imagine, the most active and interesting investors turn out to be investors with a particular focus on energy transition, of course, but also on water technologies and in general sustainable technologies that we do for many different industrial applications. Of course, let me say, our equity story was very much appreciated by, by these guys. And so they could really appreciate, uh, even in a very difficult market situation, the strong uh, equity story of the Nora, the leadership, uh, or this magic combination between uh, a very strong leadership with impressive market shares uh, in our legacy business, uh, and in parallel, uh, a phenomenal growth story with uh, very high chances uh, already demonstrated today to gain very similar leadership positions uh, in a new segment like the one of energy transition. In terms of geography, going back to your, your question, uh, we engage international investors in Europe, in the Americas, in the Far East. At the IPO stage, uh, we mainly gather interest from European investors, uh, particularly, of course, in Italy, in Netherlands, UK, Norway. But we also attract uh, investors in the United States, uh, in, in the Far East. Uh, as far as the United States uh, in particular, we have been uh, continuing engaging them uh, with our investor relations activities. Uh, and of course, they followed our equity story and they increased progressively their presence, also thanks to the private placement that we had uh, back in April this year, where we increased our floating position. And I mean, it, it was quite a difficult period. July 2022, there was not an oh, yes. easy time to IPO, right? Many investors were a bit taken aback by volatility. But how was the investor engagement? What did you feel you got out of the, the discussions with investors? I think we got a very good engagement. I mean, as I said, uh, on one end, uh, we were brave enough not to put uh, as many other companies the project on hold. We had our growth story, we had our equity story, we felt uh, pretty strong uh, on that, uh, and we decided together with our shareholders to continue, being aware that we could have uh, the chance to suffer a little bit on the, on the final pricing. But at the end of the day, we were so convinced that that was the right timing, independently from the negativity that uh, there was uh, around in the market. Uh, that we've been very determined. And I have to say that by in and the engagement by the investors has been very strong. And that's why we did something like 3.5 times during the book building in a few days. I think it was brave, but also smart to start then because then you also had the segue to showing the market you delivered over time, right? Yeah. yeah. As you said, sort of, you engaged quite a lot with energy transition experts. Did you feel there was a lot of engagement from sort of ESG-focused investors? Was kind of the industrial energy transition angle the most important, or was it the sustainability story? Well, energy transition for sure was uh, probably the most interesting and attractive uh, part of our equity story. But I have to say that uh, there was and there is a progressively higher and higher interest also in ESG. ESG funds, especially thematic and impact funds that uh, still today account for over 30% of our free float, so quite significant. 
nowadays, I have to say, ESG investors are increasing the level of engagement uh, versus the NORA, asking for more details, of course, about our ESG performances, uh, also in terms of uh, operating activities, right? So action plans. So we are working a lot on that, and uh, we have achieved the AA rating from uh, the leading agency, the MSCI, this April. So that's uh, been really very rewarding for us. Uh, but again, the journey is long uh, and the action plan is uh, what is going to drive us uh, over the next months and years on this ESG roadmap. Taking a step back, I just wanted to reflect with you a bit on, on the process of the IPO. So first of all, you've been through two IPOs now in two years, which is great. You went, went through the IPO of Denora as CEO and the IPO of Nucera now as vice chairman. Can you tell us a bit more about Nucera and Denora's role in Nucera, how that works? Well, Nucera is a, is a fantastic uh, platform that we built uh, with our own ends, I have to say, because uh, the relationship between Denora and Thyssen Group goes back to more than 20 years ago where they were fighting, they were enemies in the market. Uh, that's a really very interesting story because uh, they were uh, the two European engineering companies because at that time Denora was also making chloralkali plants as well as uh, Ude, who was the engineering company of Thyssen Group. And they were fighting, they were competitors. And they were so smart. And the other enemies were two large Japanese companies. And... Uh, they were so smart at a certain point that they sat around the table and they said, why we keep fighting instead of putting together this effort and being even better prepared to fight against the Japanese? And that's what happened. So in 2001, they made a 50-50 JV called Udenora. It was also a nice name combination, Ude and Denora became Udenora, and that became the vehicle, the organization where Denora and Ude contributed not only technology, but also the people, and they started this joint plant business in Cloraca. That was the first milestone of this fantastic story. But then after a number of years, I joined the company in 2009, and also in view of this growth uh, journey that I started, uh, I had the opportunity to acquire a piece of the joint venture that uh, Denora had uh, with Mitsui in Japan, making electrodes called Permelec electrodes. It was a 50-50 joint venture tool. And so in that case, uh, when I started developing this plan and uh, understanding that uh, Mitsui was willing to sell this joint venture, they told me, well, Paolo, the joint venture is part of a much bigger platform called the electrochemical platform, where there is one of those two famous Japanese enemies uh, of the plant business of Chloralkali. So we decided to go that way. So we acquired one of those two guys, Chlorine Engineers Corporation was the name at the time, a global player, one of the leaders worldwide in the Chloralkali plant business. So you know, at that point, uh, we created a problem to our JV. So we had two ways, either to dissolve the old partnership and to become once again competitors or to enter into a very complex project of putting once again all these uh, pieces together and create the strongest platform in the world. That's what we did. It was a long and complicated project that lasted uh, two and a half years of negotiations and discussions or designing because we had to put together competitors, people that were fighting in the market on a daily basis, and all of a sudden they were supposed to become colleagues. And uh, we formed this JV that was launched at the end uh, after antitrust and many other procedures uh, in 2015 
called the ThyssenKrupp Ude Chlorine Engineers and then further transformed as a name into ThyssenKrupp Nucera one year ago, more or less. So long and very interesting history, I would say, because we have really given to this platform all the right components to become the worldwide leader in that business. And another piece of the funny story is that while I was negotiating the joint venture agreement back already in 2012, we already wrote in the first draft that that platform would have focused on green hydrogen plant because of this fantastic legacy and knowledge and know-how coming from the chloracali. So you can imagine that we have been quite pioneers because already 11 years ago, we had in mind to compete and to play a very strong role in the green energy plant business. And if you look at the two IPOs now, 22 for Denora and 23 for Nucera, how would you compare the two, your experience with uh, the two of those? Well, actually very similar, to be honest with you. The target, the objective of these two IPOs is exactly the same, growth. So we are a capital intensive company because we manufacture and we are also the manufacturing hub for their sales. And so our money was more uh, supposed to be dedicated to, as I said, uh, expanding the production capacity. On their side, they are more an engineering company. They had to grow in uh, research and development, in people, because at the end of the day, when you deal with these complicated projects, uh, from engineering, procurement, uh, construction, at the end of the day, it's people, it's a people business. So they had to sustain their growth with OPEX and CAPEX uh, to really achieve uh, this progressively increasing size uh, to be able to cope uh, organizationally-wise with this uh, impressive growth of demand. And that's what they did. So they originally planned to go public exactly in the same year of the NORA, one year ago. Then, uh, unfortunately, we were really even too much overlapping in terms of timing, totally by chance, because the two projects were run totally independently. And then they decided to put it on hold and wait for the following year. And that's what happened. And I have to say that both have uh, been successful, despite market conditions not easy also this year. But the main reason for both has been growth. With hindsight, what do you think was sort of the key factors contributing to both the Nora's IPO success and uh, Nucera's IPO success? Well, I think, as I said, that the equity story is really very strong for both sides. And I have to say that, uh, of course, both companies are coming from very strong leadership positions in the market they serve. The Nora, much more diversified because we are in water, we are in many different industrial applications. They were the number one in the world in chloracali, and they still are, of course, but uh, the strength for their side was the backlog, as you can imagine. So this is the company that awarded the majority of the green hydrogen projects that enter into final investment decisions so far. And of course, as a consequence, uh, part of their backlog became also backlog of the Nora because we are their suppliers of this core technology. So that was uh, really strengthening their equity story. And let me say that compared to one year ago, where there was already a strong backlog, one year later, the backlog was even stronger. So they could be even more convincing to their investors that uh, their equity story was very credible and very strong. And as you know, we are in full execution of this job on a daily basis. So we are not promising something, but we are doing. We are absolutely walking our talk uh, on a daily basis. 
And are there any topics during the IPO you felt you could have been better prepared for, or you felt that maybe you should have gotten a bit better advice? Well, to be honest with you, not really. Maybe talking about advice, there's always this feeling that the beginning you are somehow convinced or you're told that the value of your company is uh, X. And then when you enter into the real game, uh, uh, you need to acknowledge uh, and, and become aware that probably that value is a little bit lower. That could create some disappointment. It's not a mistake, by the way. It's a fact that you, you really need to prepare. Maybe we were not so prepared because we are so proud of what we do. We are so proud of this fantastic one century of successful history that we were probably a little bit more ambitious. But then, you know, after the IPO, the market has recognized the Nora a progressively higher value. So we cannot complain about that. For, let me say, our preparation for how we've been handling the project on a daily basis, apart from the comment that is heavily demanding for the management team is heavily demanding because it's uh, an incredible absorption of resources uh, that comes on top of your daily operational business. So that's for sure. But I have to say that uh, we were very prepared uh, and the success of the IPO demonstrated that. In terms of the uh, entire energy transition industry, what do you think is actually the biggest challenge going forward? Is it access to funding or is it regulation? Is it sort of going fast enough? I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts about that. Well, for sure, money, meaning capex funds, is a key element because uh, this is going to be a huge market. It's not a niche market. The gigawatt expected, we might argue they're going to be X, they're going to be X minus X percent. Uh, For sure, it's a new segment, it's a new industry. So it will take its time to properly develop uh, in volumes, in preparation by the end users and uh, in the related industry. But in general, I have to say that uh, everyone wishing to deal with this market has to be prepared to invest a lot of money because the volumes uh, related to this business are going to be high. And as usual, let me say, because we sell durable equipment and because we we serve this durable equipment, that's not enough to say we are prepared to deliver the first solutions. You need to prepare to serve this uh, install base in every corner of the world it will be positioned. So once again, funds, capex, uh, multi-locations, proximity to customers are all going to be very, very important parts that can be somehow all related to investments. But on the other side, we cannot forget about the technology. The technology level of many of these players in this industry is still at the early stage. So one reason or the other, they started from something, they might have started from the right point with the right steps, they might have also started with the wrong steps with the wrong technologies, Most of them are still struggling in achieving industrialized, reliable, durable solutions to convince the customers to give them trust and orders. So that's one of the, for sure, the challenges of the industry. It's in a sort of infant stage in most of the cases. So they have their journey from the technology standpoint to achieve certain results. Why we pridely say that we consider ourselves a little bit different because of the legacy coming from the chloracle. You know, when when you've been dealing with our JV, of course, at Thyssen-Krupp-Nussera, with hundreds 
of projects in every corner of the world, very complicated, large-scale industrial electrolysis projects. There's not so much big difference if it's an electrolysis for chloralkali or is an electrolysis for green hydrogen. At the end of the day, this sort of background, this legacy, this competence in handling complicated projects and delivering highly performing technologies is really making the difference. Very interesting. Uh, just to finish off, is there any fun facts you would uh, want to share from uh, your IPO process or roadshow? <laughs> well, the roadshow, I have to say that uh, they're very demanding. You know, you have to respect uh, timing super diligently because maybe in one day you need to meet 20 people, sometimes even more. But, you know, there's uh, always a sort of fun uh, among the team, right? You jump from one one bus to the other, from one car to the other, from one plane to the other to meet people. With, the, let me say, with a big difference this time compared to when we did the same process back in 2016. At that time, it was mainly a physical kind of uh, interfacing with all the investors in this process. So again, jumping, taxis, planes, uh, one day in Geneva, one day in Paris, one day in London, and so on and so forth. This time has been uh, funny and demanding at the same time, but... Uh, Almost virtual, all virtual. So totally different setup. Definitely more efficient because we could really start in the early morning and end up uh, late evening uh, sitting at the same desk and meeting maybe between individual one-to-ones and group, maybe even 40. I think we, we did more than 40 investors in one day, which is quite crazy, right? But being virtual, maybe a little bit less funny because when you travel and you jump uh, from one place to another, there's also some fun, some team spirit that, uh, and maybe you are so tired and so and so exhausted that uh, you tend to also laugh and to have fun of simple, stupid things. This time was a little bit more serious, let me put this way, because it was more virtual. Difficult to crack jokes over, uh, over VC, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you very much, Paolo. Great story and uh, best of luck with uh, implementing the strategy going forward. It's a lot of projects on their plate. Thank you very much, Paolo. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to IPO Stories. In future episodes, we'll host CEOs, CFOs, advisors, and other participants in the IPO process to learn from their experience, like from Paolo today. If you like the show, please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share the show with people around you. If you have questions about the IPO process that you would like us to address with future guests, please get in touch at contact at ipostories.com.